place where we want to live in, live over our head. <laughs> you want to live in a place where you feel like you're, you're over your head. That's the place of faith. That's the place of dependency on God. And in that place over your head, you, if, you, if you stay underwater for too long, you're going to die. And that's God's plan. <laughs> he wants you to drown in his river. <laughs> because you're, the call is the call to die. It's not the call to be a better version of ourselves. It's a call to have Christ in you, the hope of glory, shining forth. So to live in that place of the river where you're overflowing in the Holy Spirit will mean that you die. But it's also going to mean a place where you're over your head. And, but it's, it's the most free place to live in. What happens when you go underwater? You're swimming underwater. You're in the deep end. You're not touching anything. I love going down underwater because it's so still, so peaceful, and I'm free. Like I'm, I can do whatever I want. I can do a flip. It's like flying, except in the water, you know. It's a place of freedom. It's a place of peace. So it, in the midst of being over your head, in the midst of dying to all our carnal flesh and the sins, there's peace that passes understanding. That's what it means to have peace that passes understanding, is that there, there'll be times you don't understand, and you have peace. That's why God gave that to us. You're not meant to understand everything. So we want to, that's the place that I want to live from. That's the place that we're called to live from. It said that Jesus walked in anointing without measure. You could, you could substitute, you know, pictures for anointing as river and oil. Jesus was living underwater. And that's what the baptismal picture represents. You're going under. As the old man, the old Travis, went under and died and is resurrected in the power and the life of Jesus Christ. You're called to live under. And when you come out, you're a new man. You're a new woman. And so <clears throat> I just encourage you guys to pray into that. Just, just tell God, I want to live over my head in the river. Father, I pray that for the awakening, that we would live over our head in the river where there's life, where there's joy, where there's peace, where, God, we are living in the place of faith and it's freedom. As for Christ, Christ came to set us free. Thank you, Father. And uh, one thing that, you know, whenever we, I just had this, I've got a few other sermonettes. I told y'all, preachers, they got like five sermons every Sunday. So uh, I was just thinking, you know, we worship is such a value in our house. And if you come just for teaching, if that's what you look forward to, then you will only get knowledge. If you come for worship, you get encounter. You get impartation. That's the place of encountering, Father. And we, we get nuggets and revelation and stuff from teaching, but there's nothing like Father speaking to, to yourself. It's much better than regurgitated from somebody. This Sunday mornings is meant to be icing on the cake. 
Because in 1 John, it says, you have an anointing to teach yourself. You have an anointing. God has anointed you to teach yourself, to spend time with him and to learn about the ways of God. So what I have to offer is just meant to encourage you, to confirm, and maybe shed some light, maybe spur you in a direction, but it's not meant to be the meat of your life. This is dessert. And dessert is just something that's tasty doesn't nourish you. You cultivate the meat and the bread and the vegetables of your own life. That's, that's you and God. Because he won't actually let you have it any other way. He's too, he's too good of a father. You'll only, live, you'll only go so deep living off somebody else's revelation. Because he won't let, he won't let it happen. He is jealous for you. He wants you Okay, And then uh, the Lord told me this morning, he said, there's three C's that are killing the body of Christ. Compromise, competition, and comparison. The compromise, which I'm going to talk about later. But the, but the competition and the comparison. I was praying this morning, and the Lord, just before I came to church and the Lord just spoke it to me. He said, competition and comparison. And I, so I asked the Lord, where have, I, where have I been doing that? And the Lord showed me where I've, where I've been competing and comparing. And this is the thing. There's nothing wrong with uh, competition in one aspect of you know who your enemy is. <laughs> we're out there. We're, to, we're here to destroy the works of the devil. That's, what the, that's the purpose that Jesus came for. And so that warrior thing, where you want to crush something, you want to defeat, you want to conquer, that's part of God's nature, but it's meant towards the enemy. It's not meant towards a fellow brother or sister in Christ. And so we, what happens is we, have, we compare ourselves and we compete with other people in the family. When you're a teammate, when you're on a football team, and your teammate catches the game-winning touchdown, you're rejoicing. You're not like, man, I wish that was me. You're just glad you won the game. But what we do in the body of Christ is we, we sulk and we get the old poochie lip, is what I call it. Make it come down a little bit. You get the poochie lip. When, somebody, when you see God blessing somebody else or you see them walking in something that you want to walk in and you think, oh, why doesn't God do that for me? That is orphan thinking. You, th you are thinking like you don't have a father that cares about you. That's going to give you everything that you need. And that's, that is rooted. That's a Cain spirit. Cain was competitive and comparing against his family because of his compromise and his, and his uh, offering to the Lord. He compromised. He didn't give the best to the Lord. Abel gave his best. And he looked and he saw that the Lord was pleased with Abel's offering and he got mad, he got jealous, and he killed him. And so what happens when we have compromise in our life, we see somebody else who's not, and so we start the process of tearing them down because they don't look like us and it's, and it's calling us higher, but we, we were like staying right where we're at, comfortable, compromised. 
And, you know, you can't, like, make yourself righteous and holy. It's something that God shows you, but you have to say yes. You got to have a big yes to God. You got to have a, let's, it's not about, holiness is not about having a bunch of no's. No, I'm not going to do this. No, I'm not going to do that. No, 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 no. It's about having a really big yes to God. Yes, God. Yes, Jesus. I will follow you. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. I will listen. Yes, yes. It's about having a big yes. And so um, we're going to go into these things a little bit more. So character carries anointing. And uh, I've been reading in 1 Samuel and... I've just been loving it. It's been, it's been good. It's almost been like I've been reading it for the first time again. And we want to learn about lessons from the life of King Saul. And actually, this is uh, sermon number three. Sorry. Uh, this is a little bit apart, but there is a shaking going on right now in the nations, in the U.S. Uh, Hebrews talks about this. It says, and his voice shook the earth then, but now he was promised saying, Yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. This expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken, as of created things, man-made things, so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude, by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. And so we need to not only see our Father as our friend, but we need to have a reverence and awe for God. Sometimes we're so focused on God being our friend that there is, when he says something, we're like, <laughs> it's like a roommate telling you something to do. No, I'm not going to, well, it's your turn to do the dishes or whatever, you know. So it's like we need that. He is our father. And one of the things I love about my dad that made it easy for me to relate with God was that God was a God of authority. My dad said something. It was everybody at attention. Woo! Because he carried authority, and he, he was a man that you respected. And so when God, I've, that is translated, that was something that was given to me from my father as I relate to, the, to God is that when God says something, I'm like, I want to obey. I, here I am. Lord, what's up? And so what, but what I've had to learn is to be friends with God. Some of you are, it's easy being friends with God. You need to learn, yes, sir. I will obey Okay. He is a consuming fire and he's going to shake everything. What is he going to shake? What are, what are the things that are man-made? Number one, that he is going to shake. In scripture, especially the Old Testament, it talks about, it says, uh, Isaiah 44 is one place, Psalm 115, I believe, talks about idols. It says, you know, a man chops down a tree. He uses half of it to make a fire and cook his food. And he takes the other half, makes an idol out of it and says, thank you for giving my food. Thank you for giving me my, my fire. You are worthy. And he cre created it with his own hands. 
That's, mo that's like the most absurd thing I've ever heard of. But we do that. It just may not look like a wooden pole or a statue, but we create things that are idols in our hearts that we bow down to. And we're like, oh, thank you for giving me peace. Thank you for comforting me. Thank you. Thank you. And we bow down to that idol that we've created. Those things, when God shakes things, he shakes those idols because he is a jealous God. It says right here, he is a consuming fire. And it says that God's jealousy is like a fire, a song of Solomon. It says, set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is as strong as death, and jealousy is as fierce as a grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire. He has a jealous love for you. When he comes and shakes those idols, it's because he's a jealous father. If I saw one of my children being abused, I'm coming with the fire. And he's the same way about you. You may not know it, but your, your idols abuse you. <laughs> they don't bring you life. And so there's so many, so many things happening in current events. And one, time, one thing that you can do when there's current events happening, there's shaking in the nations going on right now. There's shaking in the U.S., one way that you can interpret these is ask yourself, if this were a dream, what would it mean? If this were a dream, what would it mean? So the ISIS situation, if this were a dream, what would it mean? Imagine having that dream, there's terrorists that are invading nations. It's, it's, it's nothing, it's two plus two. Pray against evil. Ask God to have mercy. Ask God to protect. The Ebola thing. You know, people are freaked out about that. I'm not one of them. But still, you have to be aware. It's, again, it's protection. The things that, you know, we put our com our, all of our um, confidence and even man's ability to heal. And God's given man ability to heal. There's nothing wrong with that. But God is jealous to be our provider in every, in every facet. The border controversy. You know, there's things like, what does that mean? What does that mean? You go, I'm flying through this. Ferguson, obviously, there's like racial tensions still in the U.S. that need healing. All right? There's, we're praying, and we want to pray for the black church. We want to pray for unity. When I talk about the black church, I'm not talking about black churches. I'm talking about Christian believers that, that God would rise, that raise up even more uh, leaders in the black church and in the white church that would have racial uh, reconciliation. There was a guy that was one of my professors in seminary during the civil rights movement. He was uh, in Virginia, which a lot of stuff was going down in Virginia at the time. And he and... Uh, a black church. He had a white church and a man that pastored a black church. They got together and during, for like a year and a half, they had services together in the midst of the civil rights uh, movement. It's, th it's things like that that need to go on. We, and, but the most important thing, all of these things have to be covered in prayer. Even the scandal in football, this may seem trivial. But to me, I was asking, I was like, God, why is all this scandal happening in football? 
Why? Because I know God speaks through current events. And he said, I'm, and I felt like the Lord said, I'm shaking the entertainment idol on America. And this is just a sign of what it, it may not, and I, I watch football, I like watching football. There's nothing wrong with watching football. But I know a lot of people, man, it is, it is a God. And the venom, the bitterness that comes out from just the ball game is absurd. It's absolutely absurd. When people start criticizing players, uh, criticizing coaches, getting on other teams, it's, it's, it's absurd. And there's playful, you know, jesting and that kind of thing in the competition. But I'm talking about when it gets, it gets nasty. There's just no place for that. All right? And so all of these things, all of these things are pointing to a shaking that's happening. And we don't want to be, we want to be alert. We, want, we do not want to be unaware of what God is doing in the earth. And we want to pray. We pray as a family. We pray individually. Flash prayers. You know, sometimes we think if we, if we don't have like a five-minute prayer about something, it's not, use, it's not effective. But as I'm, through, if I'm, as I'm going throughout my day and I think about the U.S., I think about ISIS, I just say, God, have mercy on our nation. That's all you got to do. And I'm, I'm, I'm just praying these little flash prayers throughout the day as I think about it. Have mercy, Father. Protect us. Have mercy. Because I'm working. I got kids. There's not a whole lot of quiet time. And so don't think because you're not segregated in, in your prayer closet, you can't pray for the nation, pray for these issue, issues. All right. On to the fifth sermon. Growing up in God's presence. I want to, this is part of, uh, uh, this is talking about Samuel before we get into Saul, but many of you have not yet had children. And I want you, this to be an encouragement to you for when you have kids. All right. I have, you know, well, you know, y'all know we, we have three children, but Josiah when he was a year and a half, he had a word about being a seer, which a seer is a type of prophet in the Old Testament uh, that just basically sees things that God's doing. And, um, and it's, it's true. Like, that, that that's occurs in Josiah's life. And, and so uh, it, I was, when we lived in Texas, Josiah's a year and a half. And I'm like, how do... Uh, I know because he was before he could actually talk, Josiah would be in our living room. He couldn't say, he all he could say was mom and dada, mama. And then one day we had a Hillsong Kids worship DVD on. And he looks up in the corner of the living room. Here's the TV. He's, he goes, Angel. Angel, mama, Angel. And, and so we, we hadn't taught him that word. We never talked about angels to him. I mean, he's a year and a half old. And so many things like this have happened with Josiah. And so I'm like, how do I, how do I help the Lord, uh, not help the Lord, but how do I steward this, my son, you know? And so I was asking a guy who operates in the same gift and, uh, he said, 
just get them in God's presence as much as you can. So when they're that young, just get them in God's presence. So he'll take care of it. And so this is about Samuel, who was a seer as well. It said, and the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. Grew up in the presence of the Lord. Now the boy Samuel was growing in stature and in favor, both with the Lord and with, and with men. And this is actually before Samuel ever heard the Lord's voice. It said that later, it says Samuel didn't know the Lord later in the scripture. So like even my kids, you know, none of them have had this decision where, where they vocalized and they've been like, Dad, I want to receive Jesus into my heart. You know, now they talk about Jesus. They talk about God, but it's like they haven't, Maybe they don't know God for themselves yet. Even though even Josiah has had encounters with God in his bunk bed at night where I'll be in there and he's weeping. And I'm like, Josiah, what's going on? I'm like, what's, what's the matter? What's the matter? He said, Dad, I just feel God loves me so much. And he's crying. I said, that's good, son. I said, I'm going to ask him to give you more. All right? And I said, Father, just give Josiah even more right now. And he just was just crying in his bed, encountering the love of God. He hasn't made a decision for Christ yet. But he's encountering God. And, and so even later, the next night, Josiah was crying again like that. And we, were, we said, Josiah, is there, is there something wrong? And he said, no, I just, I just love mom so much. And we, he came in there and he snuggled with us for about 20 minutes. And what we realized is that when, you, when God loves on you, it awakens you to just love in general. It awakens you, in a, in you to even be thankful for the love that you maybe even been unaware of. <laughs> but Josiah had this awareness of, wow, mom really loves me. And it just, he was overwhelmed with thankfulness. And um, you can't make this stuff happen. You just pray for God's presence. You cultivate uh, in your home where God's presence is allowed. And you, and you worship in your home and you pray. So, kid tips. God's presence is the fertilizer of our spirits, and acceleration happens in God's presence. The more God, I was 23 when I surrendered to the Lord, and the next two years was I was driving a car called the Bible on the Talladega racetrack. And it was, if that, that doesn't make sense, I know, but... Uh, so I'm, I'm reading, I'm reading the Bible like six and seven hours a day, and I can't get enough. That's supernatural grace, guys, all right? It was a season of where the Lord's like, I'm, I'm going to catch you up for all the years you haven't read your Bible, you know, because I used to, when I was in college, before I was, turned 23, I used to have my Bible be covered in dust, and I'd just write my name in the dust on my Bible. I mean, it was thick dust. And so, yeah, my mom, you know, she just let me have my room to myself. But all those years of not reading, God just accelerated it. 
in two years where I just I couldn't get enough of it. And so it was uh, because I valued God's presence, I valued worship, and he just put this fire in me. Um, now I want to talk about, I want to transition to talking about Saul and talk about how character carries anointing. So in 1 Samuel chapter 10, verses 6 and 9, it says, Then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you mightily. It's talking about Samuel's telling Saul what's going to happen after he's anointed king. And you shall prophesy with them and be changed into another man. That is awesome. You will prophesy, the Spirit of the Lord will come, and you shall prophesy with them and be changed into another man. Then it happened when he turned his back to leave Samuel, God changed his heart, and all those signs came about on that day. For some of you who are a little newer to the awakening, what happens when these guys are up here worshiping and they're singing a song that we don't have words for? The Spirit of the Lord is coming on them and they're getting a new song. There's prophesying in song. That's what's happening. It's called prophetic worship. And, as, and you may have done that in your life and not even realized it. You're like, man, I just, just want to sing this to the Lord. Where you're, you know, you... You could resist it, but you, want, you just cooperate with it because it's just kind of welling up inside of you. This is what happens in prophetic worship. It's what happens when we prophesy. God moves on our hearts. He speaks to us, and we uh, release it. Said God changed his heart when the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. So the Holy Spirit can gift us and anoint us for ministry, which is what happened right here for, to Saul. He was just, Holy Spirit came on him, he was gifted, anointed to be king over Israel. But it takes obedience and submission to God to actually carry that anointing. You're going to peter out. You're going to fade if you don't have a relationship with God. Your gifting and anointing can only take you so far. So that is why humility is the doorway to the kingdom of God. Because a lot of people trust in their gifting. They trust in their anointing. And there's some highly, highly gifted people that can do amazing things in their gifting apart from God. But that's actually very uh, sub-maximal of what they're called to do. Because you can only, it may in our eyes look amazing, but to God is like, no, I've actually called you up here. So the fear of man brings a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. The crucible is for silver and the furnace for gold, and each is tested by the praise accorded to him. So we're going to look at, you know, how Saul just basically feared man over God. Saul didn't have the identity and therefore the character to carry the anointing. Your character flows out of your identity. Saul was actually when Samuel was looking for who God was pointing out to anoint as king over Israel, does anybody know, is anybody familiar with the story enough to remember where Saul was found? Can anybody just throw it out there? Hiding in the baggage. Samuel was like, where, uh, God's shown me the man. Where, where is he? I mean, I know he's supposed to be right here. And Samuel was in the, the baggage and he was like, he's the tallest dude in Israel. And he was found hiding in the baggage. And he stood up and he's like, I'm over here. Because he didn't know who he was. He didn't know that God had 
gifted him and anointed him to be king. I don't think that God had necessarily had to have David if Saul would have been like David. <laughs> Does that make sense? But Saul had no history with God like David did. He, he did not know who he was, so he didn't have the character to carry the anointing. Your gifting cannot carry you through trials. Your gifting cannot carry you through trials. Only God can carry you. Larger than life, highly charismatic personalities can actually be mistaken for strength of spirit. A person can be incredibly quiet, gentle, and shy, yet possess the spirit of a mighty warrior. You have people that, you know, Mother Teresa, tiny Romanian woman, very quiet, did not care to be on the public stage, but people put her there. And God trusted her there because she didn't want to be there. <laughs> she would say things that, you know, she had the one-liners before Bill Johnson did. She just would say, anything, the smallest thing done in love echoes in eternity. You know, and you just be like, whoa. Wow. So God told me to start a school, so I just started drawing in the dirt. <laughs> uh, yeah, start with what you have. Okay. Wow. You know, you just, the simplest things. He was, Saul was placed in a position of influence and authority before he had that character to carry the mantle. And he did not have the history of worship with God like David did, like I mentioned. Samuel was Saul's prophet, unlike David, who was the prophet of his own life. This is what I was talking about earlier. This is, Sunday mornings, icing on the cake. You get a prophetic word from somebody at the awakening or another church, icing on the cake. And it may help you, like, stir something up in you. That's the purpose of it. But who has to walk that out? Is the person who gave you the prophetic word going to hold your hand and be like, now, okay, this is what you do now, all right? No, that's never going to happen. Even fathers and mothers in the faith, even mentors, they can't do that for you. I had one mentor. This was basically his advice in a nutshell for six years to me. Travis, you're just going to have to ask the Lord about that. Thanks, Rick. I would come to him as like, be talking with him. It's like, Rick, what do I do, man? I, I don't know, man. You're going to have to ask the Lord. All right, Rick. Thank you, man. <laughs> but it's like one of the best pieces of advice I've ever gotten because it made me turn to the Lord. I wanted, a, I wanted an answer. I want somebody to tell me what to do. But I didn't, I didn't want to, in that moment, Press in to God. I want somebody just tell me what to do. Come on. So, I mean, you've lived life. You're 20 years older than me. Somebody tell me what to do. Rick's like, ah, I don't know. Ask the Lord. He would, this, I love Rick. He would be, uh, he says, man, I was just, he's an old cowboy. 
Man, I was just walking out in the hayfield, just battling with God. He said, Rick, you're stubborn as a mule. And, and he just would go into all these things that God showed him and just be crying the whole time, heartbroken. That he had disobeyed God. And he just says, I, mean, I just got on my knees in the hayfield. Just, just worship and thank God for forgiveness. And he, and he just talked about how each one of his kids, how he had to listen to God for each one of them. Because there, there was not this formula to raise them up. He had two daughters and a son, just like I do. And he was just like, you know, this, I had it for Victoria. The Lord told me to do this. For Kendall, the Lord told me to do this. For Latham, the Lord told me to do this. And it was all different. And he had to go to war on his knees, so to speak, for his kids by listening. By listening. Samuel, uh, Saul did not do that. You know, Samuel, prophets were obviously a part of like the way God had structured his government back then. But even David had prophets. He had priests. Zadok, who was a seer as well, was one of David's priests. And he, David, one time he said, go inquire of the Lord for me. Are you not a seer? So it wasn't that David did not have people prophesying to him in the name of the Lord. But David also wrote the majority of the Psalms, which are prophetic songs that he heard from the Lord himself that he was writing. He was a prophet, and it, the New Testament says that he was a prophet. So he was his own prophet and heard from the Lord and cultivated the inner life. And before, when he was in the wilderness, he says, I fought the, the Lord, uh, deliver me from the lion and from the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be the same. He had the character to carry the anointing. David didn't try to be a king. He was a king. Say that again. David didn't try to be a king. He was a king. In his heart, he didn't have to try to be somebody different. He was just David with a crown on his head. Saul tried to be somebody else. You can only be a king, rule and reign, when you actually know the king. I say this about wisdom. is like nobody really has wisdom like the... You listen to the one who has wisdom. Because in Proverbs, it says, listen, my son, to my commands. And do what I tell you to do, and life's going to go well for you. Listen to me, son. So many times, listen, listen, son, listen. And when you read Proverbs. And and this is uh, the difference between somebody who is wise, a wise person listens to the Lord, and the fool says uh, in, in Proverbs chapter 12, verses 15, It says a fool is right in his own eyes and does not listen to correction. It says, and then in other places it says a man, it may, uh, a man's ways may seem right in his own eyes, but in the end it leads to death. And so always having the ear to the Lord's heart, always listening to the Lord for wisdom. Corey Russell, uh, I've been reading some of his stuff lately. He says, God is going to take people like David, those who have cultivated a history in God during seasons of obscurity, who've experienced breakthroughs in areas of shame, fear, and rejection, and who have drawn closer to Christ and placed them in positions of authority over nations. 
They will be delivered from the need for stages and platforms and will be wholly fulfilled in ministering to an audience of one. That is why there is small beginnings. That is why there is places of obscurity. And the Lord actually, 10 years ago, he told me, Travis, I want you to be a Delta Force soldier for me. And I was like, well, what does that mean? He says, I want you to go behind enemy lines and drop bombs of light, but are you okay with not being seen? And I said, yeah, I'll, I'll sign up. And I knew in my heart I actually wasn't okay with not being seen in that moment, but I said yes to God. I was like, I know I'm not in that place yet, but Lord, I want, I want to be. So I said yes to God, and he's done a lot of work in me to where I'm like, you know, it's, it doesn't, I don't care necessarily, I don't care how big the awakening gets. It's all up to the Lord. I can't grow a church. I can't make people come here. I don't try to get people through the door. I'm just here to worship God and give away what, I've get, what God's asked me to give away. And Jessica and I resolved in our hearts. We said, if it's just me and you, babe, having a devotional that we call the awakening, then we'll do that, you know, because we can't do any, we can't make this happen. I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to waste energy and resources trying to get people through a door so I can waste more energy and resources on people who are in a spectator sport because I want people to learn the ways of God. I want them to learn that service and humility is the way into the kingdom. I don't have corner markets on any of this, by the way. I'm all, in process just like the rest of you but we are here to be a people that can be a habitation for God and for that to happen he's got to build us up stone upon stone with the Jesus being the chief cornerstone so seeking God's kingdom first God will give you over to your desires or your idols for a time in order to help you return to him. And so this is what Israel was calling for a king. We want a king. We want to be like other nations. And uh, they sought comfort in conformity by wanting a king, wanting to be like the other nations, and they compromised their call to be separate and to be a light to the nations. They were never called to be like the other nations. They weren't called to have a king. They were called to be a people that followed God only. But God gave them a king and even told Samuel, like, warn them. He's like, this is what's going to happen when you have a king. He's going to take your sons. He's going to take your daughters. He's going to take your land. He's going to tax you. He's going to oppress you. You're not going to be truly free. They're like, give us a king anyways. And sure enough, I mean, that's what even Saul and David and, and Solomon, all the kings, they had that. They, whenever Saul discovered David, he said, who is, who is David's father? I said, Jesse, the Bethlehemite. They're like, well, he's in my service now. He just took David to play the harp for him whenever the evil spirit came upon him. He's like, I'll just take your son. I'll just take it. I need that piece of land. Thank you. You know, that's, God told him. He's like, this, this is what kings are going to do. This is an Old Testament example of God being the prodigal father. How many, raise your hand. You know the pro, story of the prodigal son. 
giving what his children demanded in order that they may see their spiritual bankruptcy and come back home to Papa's house. God said, I'm going to give you what you're asking for. You know, say Israel's like, give us our inheritance. Give us a king. He's like, all right, fine. Here's a king. And then they realize, oh, my word, they oppress us. And it's even, especially Solomon said that Solomon was heavy-handed on the people. I mean, there's just labor, 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 because he, he had the most glorious empire or kingdom that probably the earth has ever seen. When you read what he had, like aside from the temple that was worth probably a trillion dollars, like it is absurd. I mean, when he sacrificed, when he dedicated the temple, it was like thousands and thousands of ox. And then, I mean, I'm like, can you imagine thousands and thousands of ox in one place being sacrificed? And just that, to, and, and, and not even hurting your, your bank account. So strength of spirit. A strong spirit enables us to stay silent. When, when we're being attacked and criticized, okay? It produces patience and perfect peace in the midst of disaster. It carries the authority to break the power of demons with the Word of God. It produces self-control. And, praying in the, and coming back to praying in the Spirit, praying in the Spirit will increase the spirit of might within us. And so part of now, how do we strengthen ourselves? We pray in the Spirit. We worship. David it said whenever he was in the wilderness... And all of his men were turning against him. Saul was out to kill him. It said he strengthened himself in the Lord. All right? So we were, Saul did not have that. He did not have that strength of spirit. We have need for endurance. For you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. This is uh, one thing that I think that I see that kind of carries over a little bit into my generation, but especially the 20-something generation, is that there is, uh, for a lot of the 20-somethings, there is not this patient endurance thing. Because part of it is growing up in an age where things are handed to you immediately. And, and you compare my generation to my dad's generation, we, we're very impatient. I mean, they, when you live in a time where you are just working in fields, you're, you're uh, growing cotton, you're growing tobacco, and you have to wait, and you're toiling, and there's, no, there's not all this immediate gratification. It builds up patient endurance in you. And so as, as time has gone on, technology has advanced, that has waned, where there's this instant gratification, instant comfort, instant whatever you need. So in Paul's writings, he tells the church to stand no less than 10 times, which when, when he says that, he's basically saying, endure, have patience. So the message is the same. The breakthrough will come, but we are in need of endurance. We need divine strength and might in our spirits to stand, to resist, to fight, and to declare the will of God in the earth. So partial obedience equals disobedience. Um, paraphrase the first Samuel chapter here. Samuel told God, uh, Saul, he's like, wait for me after seven days, and I'm going to make peace offerings for you before you go into battle. Saul went to where at Gilgal. Seven days passed. There's no Samuel. 
So Saul was like, and there was enemies all around waiting to fight. Saul got impatient. He says, all right, well, Samuel's not here. I'm just going to go ahead and make the peace offerings. And he assumed the role of a priest. He did. He disobeyed the word of the Lord and jumped the gun. Samuel came right after he made the offerings. He's like, what are you doing? You have disobeyed the Lord. He says, because you have disobeyed the Lord, the kingdom will be torn from you. And, and Saul said, forgive me, forgive me. And he reached for Samuel's robe and it tore off a piece of his robe. And Samuel looked at him and said, just like, he says, just like this piece of cloth has been torn from you, the kingdom will be torn from you and given to another. And it's because of his partial obedience, which equals disobedience. Saul's big mistake was that he always thought he had a better idea than God. He would tweak the word of the Lord, what God had asked him to do. All right, God, I'll do it, but I'll do it this way. That's tweaking. You're not obeying the Lord. He tells you, he told Bobby Connor one time, he said, all right, you're going to, I want you to prophesy in this man's ear and I want you to nibble on his ear. He's like, what? So he, he went over there. He, went, he prophesied in this man's ear, and he put the dude's earlobe in his mouth and went. <laughs> and the dude fell out in the spirit. And what had happened, this man's wife had just passed away. And every night before they went to bed, she would nibble on his earlobe. And God, like, just completely, like, this guy was in depression, got completely, and what Bobby Connor said in his ear was what his wife said every night before they went to bed. She would say these, this phrase and nibble on this guy's earlobe, and then they would go to sleep. Bobby Connor did the exact same thing, and this dude got rocked by God. Now, Bobby Connor said, all right, I'm just going to whisper in his ear. It wouldn't have happened. So partial, you, you have to obey the Lord. The, how he, the Lord told me, he told me this. He says, Travis, you'll, he says, you'll jump when I say jump, but you forget to ask me how high. And so that is part of listening to the Lord. Lord, you want to say this, how, how do you want me to say it? When do you want me to say it? We ask the, we ask the Lord those things. So character flaws of Saul. Saul saw himself as little in his own sight. Saul had an orphan mentality. He was a pauper disguised as a king. You know, Proverbs says when a, says the people basically are, are done for when a slave is made a king. You know? And so what it's saying is like you, when, you have, when you have the slave mentality... Guess how you're going to rule people as slaves. But when you're a king, true, truly a king, like Jesus, who is a servant king, you come and you serve the people. Saul makes excuses and blames the people. He told Samuel, he said, these people, they, they, uh, they wanted to do this. They wanted to make the sacrifices. And I was, you know... I was right here, so I made the sacrifices. He, he made excuses. He blamed the people. 
Saul had a rebellious spirit, not a submitted spirit. Samuel said, because you've done this thing, this is the sin of uh, insubordination and rebellion, which is as witchcraft. Strong. Insubordination, disobedience to God, he says, as witchcraft. Saul ultimately had a spirit of compromise. And a song of songs, it says, catch the foxes, the little foxes, which is symbolic of deception, that are ruining the vineyards while our vineyards are in blossom. So what happens is a little lie creeps in to your garden, which is your spirit. (laughs) And you start believing that lie. And you start letting that lie just have residence and start cultivating. Weeds start growing up, starts choking out the word of the Lord in your life. And now the garden's ruined. The, the compromises look a, a thousand different ways. Maybe, maybe you're tweaking what God has asked you to do. Maybe it's what you're watching. Maybe, you know, whatever. But like those little compromises where there's like a little bit of conviction and you're like, eh, I'm free in Christ. <laughs> I'll go ahead and do it. Those are the compromises. You obey the Holy Spirit. In everything. He, he tells you something to watch different, you, you watch something different. He tells you to give money away, you give money away. You obey the Holy Spirit. Saul would later grow jealous of David. So he had that jealousy, comparison, competition thing. Secures so for the Saul spirit, take responsibility for your actions. Don't make excuses. Don't always defend yourself. If you've all, if some people are really good lawyers, they know how to defend themselves. I've been a really good lawyer, especially when me and Jessica have gotten in an argument. No, 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 no. But I mean, you, but it's because you did this that I'm acting this way. That, that means Jessica's got a lot of power over me. And she's my wife. She is supposed to have influence in, in my life. But I want to get to a place where Jessica confronts me with something or I confront her that we're both at a place of peace. And, I can be, and, and it's been happening more often where I'm like, you're right. I, it's just easier to say, you're right, honey. I was wrong. Forgive me. Or we just be able to talk about it in a civil manner without all these defense systems going up. You know, even... There used to be triggers for us whenever she says, hey, uh, I need to talk about something. It was like, the missiles went up and the defense systems got engaged. And for her, too, I would say something. And so you're growing in your ability not to defend yourself because you have a defender. You have peace. All right. So you don't make excuses. You take responsibility. You know, the time Jessica stubbed her toe and it finally clicked with me. And, I, you know, she stubbed her toe. She's like, oh, my toe hurts. And I was like, oh, okay. And uh, she's like, Travis, you know I'm a lady. And I'd like to be treated like a woman every now and then. I'm not your brother and I'm not your dad. And it just, I was like, you know, just like somebody just took a bucket of ice water and splashed me in the face. And I was like, I've totally been doing that. Just looking at her like, suck it up, man. Everybody stubs their toe. Come on. 
I mean, tub, stub toes hurt, yeah. <laughs> what do you want me to do? I mean, you know, I'm like, that was the attitude I have. I mean, it's super compassionate. <laughs> but it just, I was like, whoa, I've been a jerk. Forgive me, Lord. Don't be a victim. That's huge. Who likes being a victim? Oh, nope. <laughs> Nobody does, but we do it all the time. Oh, you're, you're doing this to me. Tati, you're doing this to me. Taylor, you, because you did this, I have to be this way. That's what victims do. You're a powerful person. You've been given a spirit of power, love, sound mind, or self-control. Spend time with God and cultivate a history with him and deepen your love for him. Don't hide in your baggage. Seek healing and wholeness. Celebrate others' victories. This is huge. This, gets this just is a swift kick to the competition and comparison thing. When you see somebody uh, operating or something happening in their life that's good and you're like, oh, man, you have these thoughts of like, why is that happening to me? Oh, they just have such an easy life. Look at Instagram. This is glory, glory, glory all the time. <laughs> you hit triple like on Instagram. You celebrate the victory. I'm just teasing. But you, there's not such a thing, Tony. <laughs> and so you, uh, you celebrate them. You're like, dude, that's awesome. You, and, and you fake it till you make it. All right, because what happened, what I mean by that is that you make a choice. You, may, you make a choice to forgive somebody, right? So if you don't feel like celebrating in your heart, if you're going to be stewarded, if you're going to be uh, turned by your emotions all the time, mm, you're going to be all over the place. So even though you do not feel like celebrating somebody else, when you see them being blessed all over the place, you make a choice to rejoice. And so you're just like, I bless that. I bless him, Lord. I bless him. Thank you, Jesus. And then when you see him, it's like, dude, that is awesome that that happened. And then your heart will start changing. All right? Just like forgiveness, I choose to forgive that person. I may not want to forgive them. I make a choice because I know it's the right thing to do. And I don't want to be uh, bitter in my soul. I don't want to have rottenness in my bones. And then as I start to forgive them, and I make choices, and, I, and maybe you have to do it a lot, a lot. Maybe you have to do it repeatedly over and over. Then my heart changes, and I look at that person a different way. I'm not making up speeches when I see them. You got, that's a good clue. If you got bitterness, you're like, oh, there they come. Uh, what am I going to say? Oh, hey, what? The, yeah, yeah, uh-huh. And then you, you just you might start making up speeches, or they're not even in the room. You're just like, man, I would, if I could do that over again, I would just say this. And man, I just tell them, give them what for, tell them what, you know. And so you're making up speeches. And so you just, so when you see that person, you've, a forgiveness has been accomplished in your heart because you've chosen forgiveness. You see that person and you're just free. It's light. There's no facades. You can, you can be just who you are. Obey God completely. Don't interject your good ideas. 
and don't fear man, which goes with obeying God completely. Peter said this in Acts 5, 29. He says, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men.